Hear the word of God from Hebrews 10, 19 through 25. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Please be seated. We'll keep your Bibles open. We're looking this morning at Hebrews chapter 10, and you'll find it also in the worship folder. Good morning. How are you all doing? Good. Um, I had a great summer. I'm really happy to be back, sort of. You know what it's like. It was a good summer. I love you. I missed you. Um, There was one moment after I'd been away for about, uh, you know, a month or so when I actually, I didn't dream about church. It's like, oh, wonderful. (laughs) I actually dreamt about something else. Anyway, it's good to be here. We're at Hebrews chapter 10, and uh, we are this morning and then next week thinking about uh, church, and then next week more about worship specifically, but... Both, both weeks are going to be about church. Hebrews 10, 19 to 25, you're finding a worship uh, folder and also in the Bibles. Uh, here is the church. Here is the steeple. Open all the doors and here are all the people. What do you think of when you think of church? Some people think of an ideal church. Um, But you know what they say, if you find a perfect church, don't join it, you will only spoil it. (laughs) Uh, Perhaps uh, you are beginning college this year, and to be frank, uh, you may not be thinking of church at all, or once your parents are gone, you'll think of church all the less. After all, uh, you go to chapel several times a week. Do you really need to go to church too? That's a good question. Some of you may think of a contemporary church and you wonder whether a church with a pipe organ behind the pulpit could ever be your kind of church. Some of you are disappointed by church. To be honest, you would rather play golf on Sunday morning. You think to yourself, it's better to be playing golf thinking about God than be in church thinking about playing golf. (laughs) Well, I actually empathize with you if you wonder whether committing your life, your energy, your time, your passions to church is really worth all the hassle. I've been thinking about that very question a lot this summer. Like you, many of us, I suspect, I've been watching the news. 
seeing all the crazy stuff going on about race and terrorism, and not to mention a rather bizarre political season. I mean, who would have thunk it? And I've been saying to myself, really, and I, am I going to give this sort of middle portion of my life when I you know, sort of know what I'm doing, at least on my better days, and I still have energy to the local church? I mean, really? Is that really going to make any difference? Well, I'll share a little bit more about that tonight uh, at our evening service, personally. But the, the, the heart of the answer for me has been in God's Word, in particular, the book of Hebrews. So I want to read it for you. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 to 25. You'll find on page 1007 in the church Bibles. And again, it's in the worship folder in front of you. Now follow along as I read it for us once more. Therefore, brothers, or sisters, the phrase includes both genders, okay? So therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. We'll explain what all that lingo means in a moment. And since we have a great priest over the house of God. Now the house of God was in the book of Hebrews first referencing the temple, the Old Testament temple. But it's written probably to a group of Hebrew-speaking Christians, in, uh, Greek-speaking Hebrews in Christians in Rome, meeting not in temples but in little houses. And he's saying, actually, you are in the house of God. The house of God. Let us, and there are three let us statements that are exaltations. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, our bodies washed with pure water. So all that the Old Testament rituals did, claimed to do, actually have been done now in Christ. Let us hold fast, 23, the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. And then third, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, for they were facing persecution and they were drawing back from going to church. Would you come to church this morning if Emperor Nero was threatening to kill you for doing so? But not doing that, encouraging one another. That's why we come to church, for encouragement. Encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. So what is the Bible here saying to us? The Bible is here telling us today this, that if we get Jesus, we get church. If we get Jesus, we will get the church. The more we love Jesus, the more we will love the church. The more we receive the biblical Jesus, the more the church will reflect the real Jesus. If we get Jesus, we will get the church. So then, get Jesus. Look down with me at this first half of the passage, verses 19 to 21, which, according to New Testament scholar Donald Guthrie, summarize the message of this book of Hebrews so far, which is that Jesus is majestically, gloriously, beautifully, worshipfully God and the only way to God. 
So to get Jesus means to see him as more than a man, more than a prophet, more than another messenger or angel. Now, he is God's final word. The radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature who upholds the universe by the word of his power. It's chapter 1, verse 3. So in other words, if you want to know what God is saying to you today, listen to what God has said in Jesus. Listen to him. He is greater than Moses, the author of Hebrews is saying. He is the Sabbath rest available to you. If you want rest, listen to Jesus. If you're anxious about your children, listen to Jesus so that you can learn from him that worry does not empty today of its sorrows, it only empties tomorrow of its strengths. You see, all the Old Testament sacrifices were only a reminder of our sins, but the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ is once for all, happened one time, took care of all, so that... He says, we may be made perfect forever. And he says, God will remember our sins and lawless acts no more. So Jesus died for us that we might enter the presence of God freely, boldly, joyfully, without any condemnation or guilt. It is this that is the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain. That is through his flesh, as chapter 10, verse 20 tells us. So when Jesus died, the curtain that separated off the Holy of Holies, the inner sanctum of the Old Testament temple, that curtain was torn in two from top to bottom. So the way for sinners to know the holy God intimately is now open. This Jesus is the great priest over the house of God. That is the church, this better temple. Chapter 10, verse 21. So there's no more need for sacrifices or priests. I'm not a priest. The earlier service, I was introduced as Pastor Moody. Whenever I hear myself introduced like that, I think of Mad Eye Moody from the uh, Harry Potter series. You can call me Josh, you know. I'm a pastor, but I'm not a priest. All the ritual of the Old Testament temple points to Jesus as God's final sacrifice. Jesus is our great priest interceding for us, praying for us. He has made this new and living way for us so that we can enter confidently, freely, into close relationship with God. This this biblical Jesus, full of grace and love. Love. 
Did you watch the Olympics? Is it still going on? Perhaps it is. I got to the point where if I heard any more cutesy little stories, I was going to vomit, but it was good. <laughs> you know, he may won 105 seconds flat, but let me tell you about his great-grandmother. Like, just let me watch, watch him run. You know? But anyway, it was good. <laughs> Apart from that little bit. Um, I watched the gymnastics quite a lot this year. And uh, in previous years, when the gymnastics came on, you know, the women's gymnastics, I kind of hoped that something else more exciting would happen pretty soon. But this year, I watched it, I really enjoyed it. Um, Two of my children now do gymnastics. So um, I know what a Yurchenko is. Well, I don't actually, but I know the word. (laughs) You know, and I can talk about flip-flop Thing me jigs. I'm going to get in trouble when uh, uh, one of my daughters is at the 11 o'clock service. I'll hear no end of getting all that wrong. But it, it really interests me. I mean, every now and then I feel like I have to check my masculinity while I'm watching it. But still, it interests me. I get gymnastics. Because I get what my girls are doing. If you uh, grew up going to church, you know, there's no guarantee that you actually do get Jesus. These uh, Hebrew Christians were thinking about giving up on church because they are under pressure of persecution and who would blame them? But, but what they needed to get was that Jesus' death, their sins, was sufficient Final, and therefore no other sacrifice could or would work. And so therefore they would say, like those early disciples, where else can we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. They needed to get that God was not out to just make them feel bad or feel guilty. You know, I've been to churches where I come away feeling terrible. I just feel so guilty. But this idea that God is out to make us feel bad is the original lie that Jesus speaks against and counters that lie with his self-sacrificial love. Now Jesus says you are welcome. You are invited. You are included. I have been to some churches where they just make you feel bad. It's almost as if legalism seeps out of their pores like body odor or something. But Jesus welcomed sinners. He ate with us. He loved us. He included us. He died for us. And if we get that... If today we soak in the grace of God in Jesus, then our experience of church will become more and more infused with that same grace. Get Jesus, and then second, you'll get church.
Now look down with me at the second part of this passage. It goes from verses 22 to 25. Follow along in your Bibles uh, or in the worship folder as I read. Let us, here are the three let us statements. First one, verse 22. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. And the second one, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And then the third one, verse 24, and let us consider how to stir up one another. Very interesting phrase we'll see in a moment. How to stir up one another to love and good works. And then there's a sort of final exhortation piggybacking on those three let us statements, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, because they were facing persecution, but encouraging one another. And all the more, as you see, the day, the day of Jesus' re- return drawing near. Now, verses 22 to 25, what do they do? They are encouraging us to enter, as it were, this is my picture for what's going on, it's a metaphor, to enter, as it were, three rooms in the house of God, each introduced with let us, okay? This is the picture I'm going to try and use and explain it to you. So one, the first room, the sanctuary. Verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So when we get Jesus and what he has done, his death washing us clean from all our sins, From an evil conscience. Then. Then we draw near by faith. In that death with us. With the full assurance of welcome. Because of what Jesus has done. So the sanctuary. Is no longer a place where we have to stay distant. Oh no. It's no longer the place where we um, feel unworthy to enter. Oh, Oh, we draw near with faith. We sit close. Well done. We are in the holy of holies now. But with joyful confidence. And then in this metaphor, this picture, uh, the second room, the, the Sunday school rooms or the children's ministry or the adult communities, the Sunday school rooms. Look, look at verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. So when we get Jesus and we confess the truth, the confession, the, the, the information, the knowledge, the understanding of the truth of the Bible and the gospel, when we confess the truth of what he has done, then we learn to keep on going with hope. The firm confidence that the future is bright for those who follow Jesus. I, I've read the last page in the Bible, and it all turns out okay. So you draw near in the sanctuary with faith, one. You keep on going in the Sunday school, children's ministries, adult communities with hope, two. And three, in this metaphor, this picture, small groups. Look at verse 24. 
Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. So when we get Jesus, we then realize we all have a ministry in the life of the church. And of course, that changes our attitude. We no longer judge each other or gossip about each other or moan about each other. Instead, now, we're a part of it. Loved with his great love, we love one another by encouraging one another here and throughout the week. These three rooms, the sanctuary, the Sunday school, the small groups, these three opportunities draw near, keep on going, encourage each other. These three Christ-like virtues, faith, hope, and love. And therefore, because of that, not neglecting to meet together, verse 25, but doing so all the more, especially as the day, the last day of Jesus returning, could be any moment. So a a Jesus-shaped church is an urgent church. We expect God to show up and do something amazing because... The time is short before Jesus returns. Today is the day of salvation. Because there may not be a tomorrow. Um, Just a a few months ago, scientists at the uh, T.H. Chan School of Harvard concluded a, a study that they've been doing for about 16 years. And uh, the study concluded this. Most regular church churchgoers, most regular churchgoers, this is their conclusion, their study about church attendance, most regular churchgoers were 33% less likely to die than those who never attended. So there you have it, Harvard agrees. Church is good for you. But what do you think of when you think of church? Perhaps uh, you just can't see that it's going to make any real difference to the world and the times we live in. I have a lot of empathy with that view. I came across the preacher. I rather like this statement. He, he, said, he once said that he'd uh, given up saying that civilization is going to the dogs out of respect for the dogs. (laughs) Oh yeah, things around may look bad. But if you look in the right place, it looks good. We have to stop watching the news and start hearing the good news. You know the story of Elisha, don't you? His servant, he was surrounded by an enemy army and he needed his eyes open to see all the hosts of God's angels around God's people protecting him. Oh, I know, the poet said this, truth on the scaffold, wrong, wrong forever on the throne. Truth on the scaffold, wrong forever on the throne. That's the way it often feels. But then you look up, you get Jesus. Your eyes are opened, and the poet continued, yet that scaffold 
sways the future. And behind the dim unknown stands God within the shadow, keeping watch over his own. Perhaps uh, when you think of church, uh, you just think of committee meetings. (laughs) You know what they say about committees. Committees are gatherings of the unprepared appointed by the unwilling to do the unnecessary. (laughs) But maybe your, your glasses need cleaning so you can see Jesus clearly. It's really hard to be optimistic if you have a misty optic. But when you get Jesus, when you look up, then you get church. Live churches are constantly changing. Dead churches don't have to. Live churches have lots of noisy kids. Dead churches are fairly quiet. Live churches' budgets always increase. Dead churches have few ministries and low income. Live churches are constantly improving for the future. Dead churches worship their past. Live churches move out in faith. Dead churches operate by human sight. Live churches focus on people. Dead churches focus on programs. Live churches are filled with tithers. Dead churches are filled with tippers. Live churches dream great dreams of God. Dead churches relive their nightmares. Live churches don't have can't in their dictionary. Dead churches have nothing but can't. Live churches evangelize. Dead churches fossilize. Reminds me of the story of the great evangelist, uh, uh, David Watson. He's gone to glory now, but uh, he visited a church one time, and he met an old guy that he thought had been there so long, he must have seen himself Noah's Ark. And Watson said to him, all the years you've been here, you must have seen a lot of changes. And the man replied, oh yes, I've seen a lot of changes, and I opposed every single one of them. But if you get Jesus, you get church. Old people stop the church going too fast. Young people stop it going too slow. The one is light. The other is heat. And both are needed. Church is an extension of Christ's mission to the world. Church is God's way of changing the world. If you want to have a world-changing impact, then invest in the local church. Martin Luther King, Jr., this is how he put it, as he said. Church is not merely a thermometer that records the ideas and principles of popular opinion. It is a thermostat to transform the morals of our society. 
Jesus has commissioned the church to be his arms and feet, his eyes and ears, his voice and his hands to this world. The church is the body of Christ. The local church is God's way of extending Jesus' ministry today. You get Jesus. You get the church. I mean, could you meet Jesus and not be changed by it? Well, then we shouldn't be able to come to Jesus' church and it not impact our life. We stir up one another to love and good works, verse 24. Now, that word stir up is fascinating. It means provoke, irritate. We might say fire up. Too many churches start at 11 o'clock sharp and end at 12 o'clock dull. But the test of a church service is that people leave not saying, oh, what a lovely service, but I will do something. What will you do? Maybe you need to get Jesus. Be still and know that Jesus is God. Consider Jesus' glory and his greatness. Consider that your sins by faith in him are gone. Not half gone, not partially gone, not gone as long as you don't mess up again. But gone as in done. You are no more and no less washed clean if you've been a Christian a long time than if you become a Christian today. Maybe you need to get church. How? Well, here's a handful of little ideas. One, think us, not just me. Let us, let us, think us, not just me. When people make their individual preferences about style the main thing, they will inevitably become bitter and lonely. If you found a church that did everything just as you want it done, you would be the only person there. Two, think forward, not just backward. A church that spends more time celebrating its past than dreaming about its future is always only one good crisis away from a funeral. But a church that thinks forward can easily navigate storms on a journey to its vision. Invest, not just attend. Being pleased about regular attendance at church each week is a bit like being pleased that your hand is still attached to your arm. If you want to grow spiritually, you will need to invest your time, talent, and treasure. For church, not just chapel. Choosing to only go to chapel while you're at college suggests at best that you are an immature Christian. And at worst, that you're not a Christian at all. If you love Jesus, you will love the local church. 
5. Think outward, not just inward. The church that spends most of its energy on its own self-care will find that no one else cares to join them. The church that invites non-Christians, outsiders, newcomers, welcomes and loves them like Jesus, that church will be magnetic like Jesus. A snowflake. A small thing. Melts easily, has very little power. You get enough of them together and you can stop traffic. If you don't believe me, you haven't lived in Chicago, just wait until January. You get enough of us together every week, plotting together to tell our friends about Jesus. Scheming together to study the Bible on campus. Conniving ways to pray for each other. Stirring up ways to drop off gifts to the homebound. You do that. And you stop traffic. Oh, the church may seem a small thing, but, you know, small things can have a big impact. If you doubt that, just spend a night alone with a mosquito. Or look at Jesus. One person, one life, one death. And now his church. Get Jesus. And you'll get the church. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you that we, through faith in Jesus, can have an intimate relationship with you. Thank you that we, through faith in Jesus, are welcome into the holy of holies, washed clean from an evil conscience. without condemnation or guilt and therefore we pray would you stir us up fire us up to love each other and reach the world Arise, my soul, arise.
shake off your guilty fears. Amen.